to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, good morning and welcome to EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King. Sam Rayner and Micah Fries are on the line as well. How are you guys? I'm I'm good. Happy it's, New Year. Yeah, I know. This is the first, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Because we don't, we record these ahead of time. This is the first episode of 2020. Happy New Year. So, welcome, welcome listeners to, the, to new the new decade. Year. Micah, what's your resolution? I don't ever do resolutions. So you are resolved not to do it. Yeah, Sam, I've never done a resolution you? in my life. Um, you know, I, I'm, I turned forty in a couple of months. So mm. welcome I, to I, my world, Sam. I know, I know. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna. I, I don't. I, I'm. I like to stay in shape, but I'm. I'm thinking I might do something in your. You know, in my fortieth year, something I've never done before. Tr- a big triathlon, or oh, nice. you know, I do marathons, so maybe maybe an ultra marathon or something like that. We got a lot of dudes cool. in our church that are Ironmen, including one of our like a true Ironman. Like, true, uh, yeah, we have a, we have an actual Ironman race in Chattanooga, so we've got a, quite a few in our church. That that's the last thing. one that all these guys did. Was the, the Chattanooga, Chattanooga one? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, that's, uh, that's a brutal – I mean, that's a brutal race. I mean, that, Brett, that's just uh, – Brett Favre was in town last year for his wife to run in the uh, Chattanooga Ironman. Well, they actually say the Chattanooga one's the easier one because you you uh, swim downstream. Yeah, um, that's probably true. And it's not ocean, so you're not waves and stuff. The only problem with it is the it. last two years, the Chattanooga one has been rough because it's been over 100 degrees. And Chattanooga, you know, unlike the ones that are on the coast – the uh it's a hilly it's, run. it's not just hilly it's it's, yeah. it's pretty yeah pretty steep you're going up you're going so up, they, yeah. but you get to That's swim true. down it's a so. true two mile swim yeah. i don't know they yeah, tell down me down the stuff. tennessee river wow i'm impressed by them yeah. uh so we're not talking about resolutions we're not talking about iron man uh we are talking about insider, insider culture. culture yeah just us four no more <laughs> and uh let's see and there's only three of us who, who gave us this? Matthew Cass. Matthew Cass submitted this idea on uh, the Twitter. And uh, the, the question is, how do you break or change insider culture? And so, uh, it's yeah, a I mean, very good question. And it's, it is. it's something that you don't get to discuss much in your church because, It well, could come off offensive. It could. It very well could. And yeah. so, you have to be careful about how you approach these things. But that's mm-hmm. why we address them here at ESD. But before we approach it, let's just talk about the topic. What is insider culture? How do you identify it? Is it bad? Is it good? So first, what is it? Well, yes, the answer is Micah, yes. you first. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the answer to that is yes. And I think we, we, we speak about insider culture in a way that's pejorative and we need to. I mean, because insider culture, if not dealt with, is detrimental, keeps you from having guests who will stay in your church. It creates sort of a click. Uh, and so in that sense... Yes, there, it can be bad. On the other hand, let's not forget that insider culture is also reflective of community and relationships. And so when we're aware of the, that community and those relationships, we can move. I, I guess the difference would be click or community, right? Do we have sort of a click where we're sort of creating this insider culture where no one else is allowed in? Or do we have strong community where, yes, we've got some inside jokes and, yes, we know how functionally 
operationally the church works, but we're wide open to the new people who are going to come in. The problem is I think most people would say they're in category two, and I think most churches are probably actually in category one. Mm. So how about this? Give You know, like uh, here's your sign, or you might be a redneck if – uh, give me your best. You might have the negative side of insider culture. If what do you think? Throw one I, out there, Sam. I would say. I mean, one of the things that we've done at West Bradenton is just let our guests speak. You know, frankly, and when we call them and we follow up with them, um, you know, we, you know, you have to be careful about how you approach first and second time guests. But one of the things that we've heard as a theme, even from people that end up staying in our church is, you know, it was really, you know, I love your church. It was very, it was friendly. Um, I don't have any major issues, but, and then you get this, but, but mm-hmm. it was a little hard to get connected Yes, and it gets said in different ways. And, in, mm-hmm. and, you know, people, some have a little stronger emotions about it than others. And so there's degrees here, of course, but, but we've heard that over and over again, which mm-hmm. tells us you have, at West Bradenton, an insider culture. Um, And it may not be that we are the worst offender, but we still have to recognize the fact that, hey, out of five guests, two or three of them will say this, and that ought to tell us something. And I think this is the thing, I think, Josh, every church will say, we're the friendliest church around. I've never been to a church that didn't say that. I, I really don't think I've ever been to a church that doesn't think or believe. And what we generally mean is that we are kind to those we know in the community, in the community of faith, right? Like, so on a Sunday morning, hey, let's have the greeting time and we go shake everybody's hands. And that's what we mean by it. And it's not that they're, it's, it's not that anybody's malicious or, or it's just that unintentionally we don't realize that the guests are sitting in the back of the room and they don't get to participate in that. They don't know who we are. We don't know who they are. And so it, it, I think it goes back theologically to understanding uh, in the New Testament what it means to enter uh, to uh, to be hospitable, to show hospitality, right? Hospitality. We think of hospitality in our churches as, hey, I'm going to open up my home to my life group. And that's great. I'm glad you mm-hmm. do that. We should do that. But a biblical definition of hospitality is almost always shown toward those we do not know. It's almost Mm. always shown towards strangers. And so I think we've got to help our churches rethink what it means to be a hospitable people. Are we just kind to those who are already a part of the community? Or when was the last time somebody that we did not know six months later, we count them a friend who's a part of our community? If you don't regularly see people who over a six-month, three-month period are moving from outside the community to inside the community, then likely, um, you know, you're not nearly as uh, hospitable and you've got more of an insider culture than you wish you would. I would I would say you might have an insider culture if a lot of your language is uh, it's it's not understandable to people not in the church. Uh, one of my illustrations of this is interviewing at a church uh, for the lead pastorate, and I was giving they were giving me the tour. We were walking around, and uh, they said I don't know it had to be like five terms. And at one point, I just stopped the guy that told me. I said, hey, hold on. I don't know what, you know, A, B, C, D. I don't know what these things are. You just yeah, keep saying right. these these terms. And uh, they just kind of laughed and they said, uh, oh, yeah, well, that's this. This is this. This is this. And I said, why don't you just call it that? Yeah. And um, <laughs> he started laughing because I don't know. We always have. And I said, let me ask you another question. Is that how you talk to everybody? Like guests, uh, people who walk in? Do you say all that stuff? And he goes, 
yeah. And I said, do you think they know what that means? And he goes, I don't think so. And I said, <laughs> so that was a, that was an eye opening so. thing for him and uh, right. for the chairman of the committee. And that happens to all of us, but insider language. I mean, we, and here's the thing, we're all prone to condense our language, right? So we shorten our descriptions because it's easier because we say them over and over and over and over and over. But what it does is it makes it confusing for somebody who doesn't know. Like I, mm -hmm. I think about Brainerd, right? We have the BX. We've talked about the BX here before with right. you guys. It's strange. our modern venue. Yeah, it's Brainerd Crossroads actually is what it stands for. Right. And <laughs> But nobody ever uses that. It's not even prominent in the logo. We just call it the BX. Well, if I'm a new person walking in and I walk into our sanctuary and somebody says, oh, that service is happening up at the BX. It's physically in a different location. It's off mm -hmm. the campus. You know, it's a couple blocks. It's a block or two away. And so, again, those are the things that we just don't ever think about. This is why, Sam, your dad does this really, really well, I think. And, and you've done this quite a few times. I've done it on occasion. If you could have sort of a church shopper, sort of someone come in and just unawares to your staff and your volunteers, just walk through your church on a Sunday morning, look mm -hmm. at signage, listen to the language you use. I think you'd be surprised at how much of what we do is not easily understood by a guest. Yeah, we do it all the time at Church Answers. Um, so, if you're interested in us helping you with that, yeah, churchanswers.com. You can go there and check it out. Um, we just had Costco it, do it. Not well, Costco. okay, you know, in Costco. Costco. Okay, mm -hmm. we're, I was trying to get a shameless plug in, but if you're going to plug another company, fine. Yeah, Costco is amazing. Well, I found the other company through you, so I, well, I know it's because I highly recommend them. And Tim, Tim Songster, the president and CEO yeah, of Costco, is they did. really one of the best Christian leaders in the nation. But mm -hmm. you know, fine, steal my thunder. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to piggyback on Micah uh, earlier and just say. Uh, that hospitality is probably in the American church, the most underrated of all spiritual gifts. Yes. And we just don't talk enough about it. We talk a lot about strategy and vision and intellect and, you know, the ability to exegete scripture and all of that is extraordinarily important. But we don't often talk about hospitality. In fact, many times it almost gets relegated to, um, you know, the senior ladies. Uh, and, I, and I hate to say that, but that's true. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, they'll fix something. They'll do something for us. And and it, it is truly an underrated gift mm. um, that the church, I think, should equip more in and do more with um, to in sentences with prepositions. So, I, <laughs> I've said this on multiple occasions before, I think, on the show. But people come and visit a church for a thousand different reasons. They come because of location and facilities and kids ministry and preaching and music. Right. People stay at a church 100% of the time for one reason and only one reason. It's because of relationships. Yep. And uh, I think we highly undervalue this. And I'll just be honest with you guys. I like as pastors, we undervalue this. We like to say, well, they're coming because I'm a great preacher. I think we, we want to think that even if it's not true or our music's great. It's not why they're staying. They can go get great preacher. You may be a great preacher. I hope I'm a decent preacher. I, I hope I think you guys are decent preachers. The truth of the matter is there's other good preachers out there. They can go find them. Mm -hmm. They can go find other good music. They can't find the, the intangible, the relationships. That's the advantage uh, that you can have over other people. Right. And, so, uh, what about what about insider culture in leadership? Because I think mm. this is when, when we bring up the topic insider culture, obviously yeah. there's, a, there's the idea of first impressions, just the mm. general culture of the church, right? That's right. Um, does your church do a good job of welcoming guests or outsiders? But yeah. I think a lot of pastors are probably thinking about insider culture in terms of leadership and cracking that code. You've inherited, let's say you're going to a church, you're new to a church, you've inherited a church and mm. it's got these leaders. 
they're and they're they've kind of got a hold on power um and that may be good or bad um that's not necessarily bad what do you do what let's let's talk through that well as far as the hospitality side of that i know we're talking about also influence and power but uh one of the things that i'm militant against is what you call holy huddles on sunday mornings especially with the leaders and so we got into a habit it only lasted like a week or two where there's three pastors at our church all three of us would be standing by each other kind of chatting waiting on guests to come up to us because you know and that's that there's nothing wrong with that because we're at the place where we told them we would be but um i said hey how about this you go stand way over there you go stand up there upstairs you know and we're going to be in strategic locations where we can be with people i also will regularly walk up to a little huddle of small group leaders or a little huddle of deacons and say, Hey, um, guests are here, go meet somebody, go find somebody, you know? And so, uh, you know, my, my, my thing is like before service, it's all about the guests. It's, it's all about the meeting before and after service. It's all about the people. So go out and, and meet the people. And I actually police that on Sunday mornings when people are around, don't let the leaders huddle up they're supposed to be leading out in being welcoming. So that's something we do as far as yeah, like, I just imagine you going around with what a cat of nine tails or whatever it is. And just cracking that whip every time. Well, it's more like a sarcastic comment. Like, Hey, all of these people have been members for a while. How about you go talk to ones that aren't? And yeah, that's exactly you, right. You know, and they go, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And they, you know, they disperse. And so I would uh, say too, that there's a, a, I think Sam, maybe a, a little bit of a different tact on what you just said. One of my questions is, who are we inviting into leadership, right? Not just how are we behaving as leaders, but is our leadership model, is our leadership circle tightly closed, or are we welcoming more and more people into leadership, uh, which is a key example that I think the rest of the church follows. And so, uh, look, look look around at the leaders you've got. We want long tenure with leaders. We want leaders to stay with us for a while. But are we constantly developing more leaders and handing off ministry to them, which is sort of the model that we want the rest of the church to engage? Yeah, you know, you're you're exactly right. And I was thinking about getting in new leaders. That was that was something on my mind. I think that's critically important that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we've structured our church the way that we have. And I know that not everyone's going to agree with our polity or our governance. And that's fine. I mean, our listeners are from all over the spectrum with that. But we we have four standing committees that cycle through uh, people every year. And, you know, I have 10 on the committee. Um, then I'm on every committee. So that's 11 on every committee, but we have, we always have 40 people in leadership and we're constantly bringing new people into leadership because of the way our church is structured. That's not the only way to do it, of course, but it is a way that we do it. And it's very important that, you know, we get new people on board, you know, and obviously there's a, they got to be at church for a little while before you just put, you don't, you know, someone just joined last week, you don't put them in leadership, but, sure, right. um, but for those who are relatively new, a year or two, you're always asking the question, how do we get them involved? How do we equip them? How do we put them in positions of leadership? So, the two two thoughts on that. One of the things that we've often done is started in a print, what we either call an apprenticeship or junior deacon isn't a great term because nobody wants to be a junior or anything. The, um, <laughs> you know, the apprenticeship and nearly anybody can be an apprentice and you don't have to meet all of these. So there's biblical standards. You have to meet those. But then a lot of times churches will put additional standards for wisdom's sake. And that's great. But we don't necessarily, what I always say is like they come in rough and we put them through an apprenticeship program and then we see how they do. Even if they quote unquote 
fail out or opt out of the, the program, they still have a better view and expectation on what leadership is, what's going on with the deacons. We do that across the board with different, you might call it a residency or an internship program, but specifically with those lay leaders like deacons often are, um, I find that to be helpful. I also would say be careful when you're when we're, when we're talking about diversity and leadership, I think it's also important that a lot of times we get wrapped up in, for lack of a better word, just kind of like cultural or human ideas of what influence is. You're looking for people who are godly, who love the church, who serve. And there's been several times I've seen chairmen that rarely attend, but in the community, they're very influential. And so mm-hmm. the church interprets that to be, well, that's what you want on that. No, that's not what I want. I want faithfulness, compassion, you know, the kind of things. I also want them to be, you know, like with the finance team, I want them to have some financial chops as well. So that's yeah, the, hard. The, but And the beauty of the church is this is where the insider culture should be most easily broken. Um, if, if the insider culture is kind of a toxic sort of um, – environment and understand it's it's not i'm talking in ideals it's not easy obviously Mm -hmm. to break that in the church but theologically that should be the place where this happens in our communities um because you know i've i've seen people in our church who are extraordinarily godly lead well you know they may not have a whole lot of influence quote unquote uh out in the community but because of who they are in christ uh, as part of our church, they end up chairing committees or, you know, leading certain things. And, and that's exactly the way that it should be, mm-hmm. um, that the godliest people are the ones who rise up into leadership in the church. Um, so, yeah, don't fall into the trap of just because they're influential in the community, therefore they must have a position in the church. Well, um, and, and, it, and it could be that they are influential in the community and also are godly, which is even better. And, you know, we certainly want to put those people in leadership, um, but not just because they have a lot of influence. And consider this as well. There, there's a When you think about putting those people in positions of leadership, there's a fine line. Uh, on the one hand, I think there's a biblical ideal that we should – we should put people in leadership who desire leadership, right? I mean, you think about the aspirations of a pastor, elder. Exactly. The Bible says if anyone aspires to the position of an elder, they, they aspire to a good thing. So we want that. On the other hand, the Bible lifts up those who are uh, as, as most mature, those who are most willing to fall on the sword re- regarding their preferences, right? And so they're not demanding for their preferences. And so you want, you want people who desire leadership, but you want people who desire leadership who also model a biblical paradigm of sacrificing uh, for the sake of those around them. And I, I'm afraid in the church, we've elevated people who are sort of hungry for positions because they think they can get their way or they can force what they prefer in the congregation. Mm-hmm. So you want uh, to, to, to Josh's original question. Yeah, we've got to have a culture that's not sort of a closed door insider culture. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that we are elevating the right people into those, into those positions of leadership. But this topic inadvertently and and something it's not like I thought through it, but eventually I came to this conclusion, but in two ways it softened me on some of the stances that I held and I still hold them. But like to your point, Sam, I'm, I'm in my uh, way of thinking in my theology, I'm much more of an elder led type of um, guy. I like that. But what I noticed, yeah, I'm not, but that's okay. I understand. Um, What I noticed was that in the church, (laughs) <laughs> where we went straight elder led right 
and we did away with the committees, which there's some, there's some, um, I don't know, there's some wisdom to it, there's some prudence to it as well. But there was less of buy-in. Uh, there just, there just is because there were less people. And so I'm not saying that you have to go away from, um, you know, elder or multi-pastor led, but at the same time, pushing the buy-in and the responsibilities out and those sort of things helps with that. The other side of that was what we would term because, and it's similar, and there's a lot of guys like me, a lot of pastors that are like me that are super reformed and super, you know, elder-led, that sort of stuff. And so we sort of turn our nose up at things like uh, coffee shops in the lobby or events that are just for fun's sake. And what, and you kill off this feeling of hospitality, this feeling of family. Sometimes the family just gets together and watches a football game. That's all we're doing. There doesn't have to be a sermon and an offering at that thing. Um, and, and that has really changed in my mindset about like, yeah, we spend a lot of money on coffee here, but that's not to attract. It's not like I want people to choose a church because our coffee's great. It's really not. It's like it's church lobby coffee. But at the same time, when you come over to my house, I would give you coffee. I would give you sweet tea or something like that. There would be drinks and refreshments and stuff like that. So thinking less pure theological and more relational and family, of course, based on theology, but those sort of things have really softened me and has changed the way I approach ministry, also the what we do at a church. Two things, Josh. One, I'm glad to hear that you're on a path back towards a proper view of church government <laughs> um, and that you have that you have softened your stance there. That that's I mean, it's only a matter of time before, before you have I'm 47 standing out. committees yeah. at yeah. Uh, Second Conway. Uh, two, I, sweet tea. Don't offer me sweet tea. That is diabetes in a glass and I, that just is nasty, nasty See, stuff. On both of those stances, you're just wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> So, I, I would just encourage any of our listeners who are, they just struggle. I get it. And I'm with you. I struggle with this sort of feeling of sometimes, oh man, we're just kind of, I don't know what, I don't know how we say it, but it's just a different wiring for different people. Well, and let's be like clear, you can, you can have, you can have 87 committees at your church and still have an insider culture. You can have four elders and have an insider culture. Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily the governance. It's more about, it's more a culture issue than it is a structure issue. Um, Which wouldn't and you so say- wouldn't you guys say, Michael, would you say that like a lot of times um, leaders focus on the structure and not the culture? Yeah, like because structure is easier to change. Right. Culture is extraordinarily difficult to change and almost always takes a lengthy period of time. And for one, leaders don't stay at churches long enough to really change culture. So I think tenure has something to do with it. And, uh, and two, I, d I don't think most people are skilled enough to they not that they're unable to be skilled enough it's just that they've not seen it modeled for them so they don't have a paradigm for how to go about helping change or shift culture in a church i think for most of them they've seen well let's go from contemporary to uh, or from traditional to contemporary or let's get rid of the pews and put chairs in the in the auditorium or let's you know paint the walls or whatever the case might be that's a lot easier to do and even that's hard but that's a lot easier to do than than changing the culture of the church you also have to model this stuff. Uh, my wife and I are very intentional about before and after the service. Before the service, I, I walk through this. I walk through the sanctuary, hug and shake hands. I don't get to everybody, of course, but I'll pick different sections. And each Sunday, I'll just kind of rotate that. I'll stick my head in small groups. 
or um, you know on campus small groups and and just like hey what are you guys doing can I have one of those donuts you know and just kind of mess with them I love your sweater and then walk to the next one just modeling that sort of thing and then uh, when after the service I, I've got to tell you I've said this a dozen times if I've said it once I will say to a member who comes up to tell me a story or to comment on the sermon I say you know that's great I'd love to talk to you this week but I really need to be available to any you know first time guests or any of our new people mm-hmm. that are walking in. And so you got to model that. And that teaches your members, um, the family members there. Oh yeah. This is about them right now. Let's, let's schedule that for later. So that's something that I really encourage guys to model because you know, it, it's hard, but you got to show them. Sam, any other thoughts down there in the sunshine state? No, it's, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, and I feel for all of you people up North, I'm sorry. I feel for you. It's, it's cold fall here, but it's going to be 70 nice. next week. So it's beautiful. I like fall and winter. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, I guess that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Micah, you want to share a little bit about, or not Micah, sorry, Sam, share a little bit about Church Answers and how we're, we're offering that special because we're <laughs> hospitable and ministerial and all that? I'm, I'm so glad that you are... Um, this familiar with uh, with our partnership that we have with Church Answers. <laughs> hey, that thing that, that thing you know, you we're... I mean, I could do it, but, it, you know, it's, it's your deal. So, well, I talk I, too much. I, well, certainly, yes. Um, <laughs> we do have an affiliate arrangement with Church Answers. And uh, because of this arrangement, we're able to offer our listeners um, a, a great discount on on a particular resource that is of value and it is four steps to revitalizing your church this is uh, the reason we're offering this is because a lot of you listeners this is one of the things that you ask about church revitalization and you have questions around established churches and we need help in this area so yes this is um seven hours of step-by-step training and instruction you don't have to watch seven hours in a row um it's several videos uh and you can get it for $150 off. So, um, you know, we're right into the new budget season since this is airing in January and you have uh, all of these extra funds to spend because, you know, it's January and you've got a new budget. So, go check out uh, four steps steps to revitalizing your church. Go to my blog, samrainer.com, click on any of the EST episodes that are there posted and you'll find all the instructions at the bottom of the post to see how to pick this resource up. So, yeah, Micah, there you go. Micah, I'm looking at your book right now. Tell us how that's going, the launch. Did we lose Micah? Well, now we just get to make up something um, about his book. <laughs> yes, Sam. I'll do it. Yes, Sam. I really love my new book. It's <laughs> you fantastic. sound just like him. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's the greatest book just, ever written. I just realized my mute was on. <laughs> and I'm sitting here just talking away and then I'm like, wait a minute, what are these guys talking about? I'm here. <laughs> No, you were gone. Uh, this is this so. is great. This is great radio right now. <laughs> I, here's what I, the book does drop this week. It's a perfect book for our topic today. It really is about how do you build a culture of multiplication and leadership in your church. And uh, release date is January seventh. And so, very excited about the book. Got incredible endorsements. Folks like Kay Arthur and Al Moeller and Tom Rayner and J D Greer and Kevin Ezell and just really really good folks who have said, hey, they really enjoyed the book and thought it would be helpful. And so, I'd encourage. Mm-hmm. You to grab a copy. It's 
pretty inexpensive Moody Press. You can get it at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, wherever you get now, books. Micah, yes, I just sir. offered $150 off my resource. Mm-hmm. Are yes, you going to offer our listeners $150 off your book? I have no control over it, but I think Moody is available, making it available at a discount right now. <laughs> there you go. And we know that I don't a lot know of what our the listeners, price is, but, uh, you know, they got Amazon cards for Christmas. <laughs> exactly. So. Oh, perfect thing to use it up for. With the leveling the church by Micah. And this, th- Micah's book would be a good book to, to read through as a staff. So go Very order five or six we or ha- ten of them. We actually hey, and and we actually idea. have a uh, user guide that's that's being dropped as well. And Jeremy Maxfield, my co-author, who has written Bible studies for David Platt and Russ Moore and um, Matt Chandler and so many others, he has written a companion piece for the book that's free mm-hmm. that you can download and use as a as a discussion guide to walk Where's through it with at? your staff. Uh, that's a good question. I need to figure out exactly where that's at. We'll put it in the show notes. I'll find out where it's at and we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll find it and we'll tweet it. All right. Thanks so that much for listening all the way through all of our blunders at the end, not just turning it off when we start to give the plugs. We appreciate you. Hope you have a very good new year and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.